Richard Lloyd-Jones, and this is Thinking with Somebody Else's Head. You don't have to look far these days, do you, to find signs of sickness. A young girl is stoned in Brazil by evangelical fanatics as she was on the way to a Camden Blade church. Boko Haram slaughtering Nigerians in an endeavor to create its own state. And now nine people dead in Charleston, South Carolina, after a gunman opened fire on a prayer meeting. Isn't it hard to know what to say beyond the normal words of sorrow and sadness? We lament the seeming deterioration in humanity and civilization, but horrifyingly seem at a complete loss as to what to do about it. Obama called on Martin Luther King's words when King stated the need to question the system, the way of life, the philosophy which produced the murderers. But we seem unable to collectively embark on that. It seems really that there is a piece missing from our understanding of the human being and his society. Well, I believe the missing link is here in Norberto Kepi's Science of Analytical Trilogy. The Roots of Racism today on Thinking with Somebody Else's Head. It's a sobering moment again for North Americans. Even John Stewart lost his sense of humor in the face of it. Although I'm a Canadian, I live two years in New York, have many friends there, and more importantly, care what goes on there, because the U.S. embodies the challenges we face as a species in coming to grips with our dire situation. All of the global dynamics, the dominance of money over soul, the battle for the inalienable rights of all men and women, the environmental challenge, the inverted medical model, the inability to break the hold oil has over our industry and technology, the wars and torture and increasing mental sickness, suicide and murder, all seem to come to focus inside America. And it is here so much help is needed. As Obama said yesterday, this type of mass violence doesn't happen in other advanced countries. Though being a U.S. outsider, I feel no desire to gloat about that. I feel we all on the planet have knowingly or unknowingly contributed to that system and way of life and philosophy that has produced the situation. We all live inverted lives to a greater or lesser degree, and this causes all our actions to actually work against ourselves. Brazilian social scientist Norberto Kepi has expressed it this way. The cycle is centuries old. Man creates an increasingly sick society as he is increasingly sickened by it. Let me bring some of his necessary and careful let me bring some of his necessary and hopeful wisdom to the discussion today. For if we can actually see through to the root of our problems, we have the chance to overcome them. Let's not turn our back on Kepi's wisdom this time, as Americans did back in the 80s when Kepi lived there. The Roots of Racism is a reprise program. Uh, we produced this a number of years ago with my good friend, musician, and Norberto Kepi metaphysics researcher Gilbert Gambucci. Gilbert, where do you want to step out from in this vast and important subject? So as a, a research scientist for, for Noberto Kepi for 20-some years, I can say that when he was a young man, he studied initially psychoanalysis in Vienna, which is the center of psychoanalysis in the world until today. And he studied with people who studied with the, the creator of psychoanalysis, with Freud. And there's something interesting there, because at the end of Freud's life, he began noticing that in the mental institutions, 
that the, the sickest people, the people who had the, the, let's say, the greatest degree of mental illness, were exactly the people who were the most envious of other people. So he began to make this correlation between mental illness and envy. He himself, at the end of his life, he was not working with his sexual theories. He was working with envy. Now, let me ask you a question about this here, because you're, you're going, I'm sure you're going to make this connection between envy and why the problem of racism has never been solved. But before we come to that, let's describe envy. What, what envy is, because yes, it's, what is it? Yeah. Because Kepi's language is completely different from, from what we normally see in society. We have a more scientific view about what is envy, because there's a confusion. You know, many times in the school, the, the, uh, the students ask us, well, teacher, isn't there a good envy? <laughs> you know, because they might admire somebody. They want this that the other has, you know. And this is not envy. This, this can be even admiration, which, which is actually good if you want to emulate another person, what he has or what he does. But envy wants to destroy the good that another has. And in fact, the person himself doesn't even want it. It's just a destructive attitude. And at the basis of envy, you can see that envy doesn't accept the being of the other person. Let me use a couple of examples to describe this. Kepi talks about this a lot when kids are locked into this anal sadistic phase where one boy watches another boy playing with a toy and he walks over and takes away that kid's toy. Not because he wants to play with it himself, but because he wants to destroy the enjoyment the other kid is having. Yes, Rich, so on the, the, uh, the racism social plane, what happens is we've been trying to deal with this uh, socially and have made a, a certain degree of progress. In uh, 1863, there was the Emancipation Proclamation during the time of President Abraham Lincoln, you know, freeing the slaves. But immediately afterwards, there was what was called lynching. You know, a very sick thing began to take place where the Afro-Americans were suffering, being killed. And a uh, hundred years later, during, during the presidency of Kennedy, Martin Luther King organized an interracial protest march on Washington in relation to racial segregation to commemorate the centennial of the Emancipation Proclamation. And so it was a demonstration of 250,000 people, blacks and whites, and King gave his famous I Have a Dream speech. And so what happens is that we can see that just dealing with it on a social level doesn't solve the problem. Why has the problem never been solved? In all the centuries, this problem of racism has never been really addressed at the level that I know you want to address it today. What's going on here? Because until today, we haven't perceived it as mental illness. Because envy is the etiology of pathology. It's at the root of mental illness. And so, when a person doesn't accept the being of another, that's envy. And what happens is that we, we put envy into our work because nowadays we're all born with envy. All of us have it. And so there are some horrifying things that, that become legislation. For example, the, the House of Burgess statute, the three-fifths compromise dealing with, these are laws dealing with how to treat slavery at the time. So we can see that man's pathology, he puts it in what he does. We have a mix. 
Now, the question is this. If all of us are born with envy, if all of us have this, then, Rich, what's the difference between you and I and a person who's in the mental institution, for example? <laughs> this is a good question, and uh, sometimes I've wondered this myself. <laughs> because if you go to a mental institution, you will find that the sickest people there are extremely envious of others. So, the difference is that you and I, we still have some sense of ethics. Now, we don't allow our envy to dominate our lives. You know, we have it, and when we notice it, uh, we control it. Now, some people, Rich, they don't control it. When the envy comes up toward another person, uh, they don't use their sense of ethics. They don't want to perceive that they need to control this. They give vent to it. And then this is a problem. This is strange, Gilbert, or interesting, maybe, I should say, because the idea that people have about racism is that racism is because I think the person's inferior. Not that I have envy of him, but that I think he's an inferior person. In some cases, it's been said that the, that the person doesn't have a soul, which allows me to justify making him a slave or dominating him in some way, exploiting him completely. No, we're only envious of superior people, superior things. Now, just to give one example, Nat King Cole, the great singer, he was loved throughout the world. He was a hard worker and a very talented person, beautiful voice. But uh, one time he suffered a persecution on his front lawn. It, there was um, burned into his front lawn some derogatory words about him. And apparently this never, the grass never grew out. And Nat was very, he was very injured by this. And so here's a man, I think he was living in Beverly Hills at the time, very successful Afro-American, internationally loved. So why would, would people persecute him in this way? Can you, can you perceive the envy involved? It's a sick mentality. So when, when this type of thing arises, the envious ones, they need to be treated as a, a sickness, you know, People who give full vent to this need to be hospitalized and treated for the mental illness that it is in reality. Gilbert, we have some listeners from the former Yugoslavia who would almost certainly want us to address ethnic cleansing, which was a particularly horrible aspect of that and many modern civil wars. And here we can see more evidence, I think, of this envy and, and even censorship that Kepi talks a lot about, that you've been talking a lot about in this podcast. What's going on when one group wants to cleanse, in quotes, its environment of the presence of the other group? Well, in Kepi's work, we can find an explanation for this. The attempt to eliminate the consciousness that the other group brings. Just as Hitler, who was part Jew, was trying to cleanse whatever he didn't like about that inside him by projecting it out to the greater Jewish community, so Serbs and Croatians, Tutsis and Hutus, etc., are trying to rid themselves of something inside that they don't see inside themselves, but see instead reflected in the outside world, in the other group. As Kepi says in his wonderful book, Universe of the Spirits, he says, the human being in general doesn't condemn the evil the other person does, but the consciousness that it brings him. This is the essential difference between our psychoanalytical process and that of other schools of psychology. We try to do everything we can to help the person conscientize how his attitude is similar to all the evil tendencies exhibited by humanity as a whole. While the laws of society 
have been set up to stifle any perception whatsoever of any evil that arises from the individual and society. End of quote. So we, we want to see the problem outside and not inside ourselves. And if we can begin to see what's going on inside, we have much less of this projective attitude towards others. And this is directly linked with envy, isn't it? Inside of each one of us, it's this question of envy. And in fact, uh, St. Basilico, he was uh, an Italian theologian from the Middle Ages of the 4th century at, at the beginning of the Christian church. He affirmed that envy was the original sin. And it's very interesting how uh, later now the, the, the serious psychoanalysts are working with this. They're perceiving that it's the, what we say the etiology, the root of human pathology. You know, it's at the basis. And we can notice that racism, it stems directly from envy of another person. Okay, so this comes from each one of us. We have to deal with this in our inner life. Because what is society after all? It's a structure that comes from many individuals. And so if the individuals, for example, are corrupt, then the social structure will be corrupt. It's exactly like this. If the individuals are envious, then there are going to be laws that are envious and a structure, a segregation and all of this. You know, so it comes from each one of us. Now, each one of us has envy. So the question becomes how to identify our own envy so that we can control it so that we can live in a peace and with tolerance with one another. From Kepi's book, The Origin of Illness, where he explores envy, censorship, and projection at length, he says this, which relates very much, Gilbert, to what we're saying. He said, It's interesting how we generally reject the good we receive, giving any shabby excuse we can find to demean it. Now think about this in terms of the black and white problem in America, uh, which exists in other countries too, but we see it prominently there. America was trying to create what? Was trying to create a pluralistic society for the first time on earth, where everybody had the same rights, the same opportunities. But this is a really, 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 really good thing for all of humanity. Why would we accept this good thing if we're full of envy? So we can see maybe that this is the rejection of something really good and then creating any shabby excuse we can to demean it. Oh, well, these black people are less than me or uh, we need to have uh, slavery installed because we can make more money with that. Uh, nobody is equal. Everywhere in life we have differences between strong and weak. All these crazy excuses to to hide the fact that we're rejecting something that was really good, really beautiful. Yes, Richard, the French thinker, Rochefoucauld, he affirmed that it's more difficult to accept success, to accept goodness, happiness, than to accept evil. It's more difficult. And you can notice this. And so, for example, Rich, what is the type of American, for example, American music that is typically American? Jazz music, blues music. That the whole world loves. And where does that come from? It comes from the black community directly. Do you perceive the envy that is involved in the, in the question of racism? The goodness of the people is being rejected, not the perceived insuperiority, but the superiority is being rejected. You know, for example, you can pretend that 
another person or race is inferior to you. But for example, in the days of plantation slavery, after the Emancipation Proclamation, and many of these plantation owners lost their slaves, what happened? They went out of business. They were no longer wealthy men. They no, no longer had the wonderful lifestyle that they had. So who was superior here, actually? Who did the work? Who was able to make the plantations go? So here we see an inversion in the society, Gilbert, that's very interesting to talk about, is that we give value to the person who has the money, not to the person who does the work. And this is true in big corporations, too. What would a big corporation be without all the little people who earn 300 times less than the top executives of the company? What would the company be without them? Yes, Rich, they're always passing us the idea that we need them. But they need us. Otherwise, nothing would happen. You know, it's not the capital that that commands. It's the work that commands. First there's work, then there's capital. But they're all the time trying to pass the, the opposite idea to us, that the capital is important, the money, that they are important. But they, without we working, are nothing, absolutely nothing. And we working without them, we don't need them. We working would generate our own capital. So it's they who are inferior. They need us. And the slaves were envied by the slave owners. Because of their ability to work, because of their ability to produce. Yes, and the slave owners were useless in this sense. They didn't know how to work. They're very cunning. They know how to connive. They know how to exploit. But to produce, they don't know how to do it. So they take people of value to work for them. It's the same in capitalism today. It's the same thing. They look for people of value to make them wealthy, to give them a good life. And then they envy us and attack us at the same time. You can notice this from a psychological standpoint. This happens in practice. And you know, Martin Luther King, he gave us a very good advice. He said, now look, be careful because black superiority is as dangerous as white superiority. And uh, he, he was a brilliant man. So if you analyze this, what is he saying? Look, don't fall into the same type of envy of another race. Now, don't cultivate this envy of another race or another person. You have to do the opposite. You have to hold that back. You know, you have to consciously hold that back and act in a sane manner, not in an insane manner. Envy is insane. Envy is mental illness. We know this now. So we have to control that. In Canada, we have a big problem between, I don't know how big a problem it is now, I've been out of the country for six years, but certainly it's been a problem over many years between the French Canadians and the English-speaking Canadians. And I feel somewhat similar in this regard, that the French culture brings to Canada fantastic things. There is a real artistic, creative impulse that comes from French Canada that is, I think, envied by the English Canadians. Now, there's lots of problems. There have been lots of political difficulties. I'm not saying it's as simple as that, but there's beauty within the French-Canadian culture in Canada. There's tremendous stability organization from the English side of, of Canada, and yes. these two sides cannot live together or they have great difficulties to live together. And it's very much a part of this rejection of what's like good in the other person, not what's bad. But the, all the, the polemic that happens is around what's bad, how we've been treated badly. But I'm thinking now that maybe it's more the rejection of what's good. Yes, because rich uh, French civilization was the apogee of culture in recent times. 
And so they go, went there in Canada. So there they are suffering a, a certain envy. Very interesting. Kepi says here, he said, psychoanalysts have a very difficult time because they must deal with the enmity of their patients, of their colleagues in other medical professions who treat patients organically with medication, and of society itself, which justifies its feelings of envy any way it can. So we have an enormous justification of slavery, of uh, ethnic cleansing, of the, the solution in Germany. We have tremendous justifications of those things to hide the envy behind them. Is there any more that you can say about this? Rich, you know, we've gone as far as we can socially on the subject. You know, there have been great men who have really addressed the question, put things into law, such as Abraham Lincoln, Martin Luther King, uh, Gandhi, all kinds of people have addressed this. Now what we are lacking is awareness of the psychological aspect, which is the, the source of where racism comes from. And so now we have this science that can identify this. So now, finally, we can get to the root of the problem. There's just one point here, Rich, that I would like to try to clarify. And that is our society, it's not exactly only a conglomerate of many individuals. Normally it would be that. But also we have an aspect that aggravates the society. It's the pathology of power. You know, the sickest individuals get into positions of power. Not, not necessarily the politicians, but the, this economic power who control the politicians. And many times they are, they are one and the same thing. But they, they aggravate the society. So in fact, our social structure is actually sicker than we are individually. So we have to deal with that. And they inflame the question of racism. You know, because divide and conquer. So they want us to, they in, actually inflame the envy that a person can have toward another. Uh, they want to keep us fighting with each other so that we don't perceive what is the real fight, that we are being controlled, we are conquered by a hidden powerful group. We call them the economically powerful. They are our problem. So they keep us fighting against each other, black and white and oriental, so that we don't perceive what is the real problem. So now what I find really hopeful, Rich, in practical terms is that with Kepi's work, we have consciousness of this. We, we know that amongst the people, we're, we are not enemies with each other. We know who the enemy is now. So now we have the means to get to the promised land, this place that everyone is after, but we haven't reached it yet. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it really doesn't matter with me now. Because I've been to the mountaintop. I don't mind. And I've looked over. And I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. But I want you to know tonight. That we as a people will get to the promised land. Whoa. That can still send chills up and down your spine, can't it? I love Dr. King's appeal to that spiritual and Christian faith. Somehow I feel it's necessary to articulate that. In our largely secular times, it is to the truly divine that we must turn for solace. 
Jesus, after all, warned us about the dangers of ignoring the spiritual part of ourselves, so we must stop making that mistake. Dr. Kepi's work connects science again to the spiritual, and it's important work for that reason. That's our program for this time. I'm Richard Lloyd-Jones. Talk to you next time on Thinking with Somebody Else's Head. The main characteristic of illness is lack of awareness. Norberto Kepi. Disinverting the human being and society. This is the Stop Radio Network. Since the beginning of all civilizations, they had always manifested an enormous interest and knowledge about the spiritual life and spiritual beings. It's a world of ancient wisdom that modern science has eliminated. The arising philosophy of positivism preferred to base science on material happenings. So, only what you can see and touch and feel is real. Now, spirituality is being put back into science. Imagine what would happen if people start considering this as a real thing. Not only as a religious thing, but also a real scientific thing. Imagine what would happen. Norberto Kepi's Universe of the Spirits, a scientific analysis, available in the bookstore at stop.org.br. You're listening to the most relevant conversations on the planet about how to stop destroying ourselves and the world. This is the Stop Radio Network.